Welcome to the Kingdom Roots podcast with Scott McKnight, the conversation designed to look at how the kingdom took root then and how it's taking root now. My name is Laura Taro, and today on the podcast, Scott and I are going to take some time to talk about his work on the Everyday Bible Study series with Becky Castle Miller, because Becky writes your questions for you. So I would love to hear, I know, I think you've got four of these books out right now um, that are already in publication and maybe two more on the way. Could you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, my editor, I think just to provoke people, decided to put James and Galatians with the first volume. (laughs) And then we did, I believe, uh, we did the book of Acts second. And then we did Philippians and the Thessalonians uh, letters third. Those were all, those books are combined. So James and Galatians are put together in part because they fit uh, word length. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're trying to do 40,000 words per co- per per study guide. And then I wrote the Gospel of Luke. And then, the no, then I wrote the Gospel of John. Then we did the Gospel of Luke. And then the Book of Romans. So John just came out yes. uh, this week. And that was such a fun book to work on. And Luke... You know, here I am uh, working on the next book, and Luke is still not out because they try to keep them about uh, three months apart so that in four years we'll have 16 of them. And then uh, the Book of Romans. And I just sent about an hour and 13 minutes ago Romans to Becky and to John Raymond, my editor at uh, Harper Christian Resources. Wonderful. So, so there. Uh, but our goal is four, four of these per year, and it's a lot of work. It's a I can lot imagine. of work. I can so, because are these using your own translation, or are you? Which translation are you using for yeah. the scripture? Well, this is you know this is a part of Harper Christian, which is also I guess a part of Zondervan. So we're dealing with the NIV. They okay. would have had to pay a lot of money to get rights to publish every word in the Second Testament. Mm-hmm. So, so it's not my translation, though I do, I do insert, insert myself at times in the translation that I find in the NIV. Yeah. So it's it's uh, it's based on the NIV. Okay. So tell our listeners a little bit about the goal behind this series? Because there are a lot of Bible studies out there. So when you all were talking about this process, writing this everyday Bible study series, uh, what was the thought process behind creating this new series? Well, uh, we kind of had three, three slightly different groups, well, three different groups in mind. The first group would be people who want to read the Bible and would like to have someone reflect on it with them, kind of help them read the Bible. So at one level, it becomes um, a guide to reading a given passage. So we have for Bible readers. Then we also know that people who read books like these, these are not really commentaries, but they're close. Uh, They're 
commentary light. Um, we know that Sunday school teachers, Bible study leaders, uh, like to have a book to study. Uh, a lot of them like to go through books of the Bible, which is a big thing for me. And a lot of people don't like to do that anymore. So we can talk about that. And then the third is is pastors, preachers preparing sermons. Yeah. And, you know, um, I look at, so I just finished Romans. And I look at Richard Longenecker's commentary, which one day I took off my shelf and sprained my thumb. The thing is so heavy. And, uh, you know, the ordinary pastor can't read 60 pages of intense discussion to be able to preach on Romans 3, 21 to 26. They need something that's accessible, that is reasonably accurate, and um, that gets to some major points. So it's it's sort of in between those, uh, they say in, in England, between stools. Uh, it's not a commentary. It's not a homiletic <clears throat> guide. Uh, it's not devotional, so it's a it's it's a step in a sense above what Tom Wright did with his Bible for Everyone, which was an attempt to update William Barclay's very important daily study Bible. It's much more of a let's say a reflection on a packet on a passage in light of a theme that makes the whole book cohesive. So. Let's say on Romans, I just finished this, it's on redemptive peace. So the peace that should come between brothers and sisters in Christ on the basis of redemption in Christ. So that's that's sort of what we were trying to accomplish. And this week I got some really nice notes on my Substack by people who are buying each one and reading them. Uh, and they can't wait for the next one to come through. So that's, that's been so there were like three or four people. And I've gotten letters. Now, that's just on my Substack. I've gotten many letters in the last year from people who are reading the commentaries or the reading the study guides. I like to call them study guides. Yeah, so, that's so good. But, but Laura, there is a, this is not really a complaint, but this is a concern of mine is I grew up in a church that preached, the pastor preached through books, mm-hmm. one verse at a time. Right. He kind of did, right. did it by verses. And um, all he preached of was from the letters of Paul. I remember him preaching through, when I was in high school, Galatians, Ephesians, and 1 Corinthians. That's what I knew. And and he told me one time he preached from books that Charles Hodge had written commentaries on. <laughs> I, I thought, you, knew oh, his, I you knew his process. Yeah, I knew his process, but I wasn't in high school. I wasn't uh, capable of reading Hodge with all his exegesis in Greek. So um, and then Bible studies used to be based almost exclusively on books in the New Testament. I remember in co- in seminary, college and seminary, all those amazing uh, Bible study guides that university published right. that were used in college campuses. They were all based on books in the New- in the Bible. So there'd be something. Yeah. And then I remember John Stott doing the Bible 
I think it was called the Bible for, uh, Bible for Today or the Bible Studies Today or something like that. And they were like little commentaries, uh, expositions uh, that John Stott was so gifted at. But I, I noticed, I mean, let's face it, in the last 20 years, a pastor, a lot of pastors are not preaching through books. They kind of gear everything for six weeks, uh, you know, say four weeks to eight weeks. And uh, home Bible studies are not studying the Bible, uh, reading passages. They're, they might be reading John Ortberg or, you know, who else? Who else do they read? Maybe they're reading Beth Allison Barr. Um, and Sunday school classes are not so much uh, geared toward going through a book of the, new, of the Bible, the Old Testament, the New Testament. So um, I have a friend who works for a project that is involved with trying to increase adult Christian Bible reading. It's a very interesting project they're involved in. And they know that the average Christian today in American churches is not reading the Bible on a regular basis. So I've, I've been concerned about this, but when, when Zondervan, uh, my editor at Zondervan, John Raymond, came to me and said, would you be interested in this? I didn't even have to, I, as I told him, I don't even have to pray about this. <laughs> I said, this is what I want to do. Uh, so it's been, it's been a lot of fun. I've been doing this, I guess, for maybe uh, 15, 16 months. Um, I usually spend three or four hours every morning, five days a week when I'm not teaching. Uh, working on on the passage, on a passage or two. And then when I'm all done, I read the whole thing very carefully and re-edit it. And then Becky reads it and puts in commas. <laughs> she thinks I God don't have enough. God bless Becky. She doesn't think I have enough commas. And uh, I tell her that Jimmy Dunn doesn't have commas. She says, yes, but this is America. We do. And uh, then she writes questions, and sometimes she asks me questions, but she uh, she asks me questions about her questions. But here's the interesting, is that as she's reading it, she can come up with things. She'll say, I think you need to bring this idea up or that idea up. So she makes some suggestions as well, as well as my editor at Harper Christian. So, so that's been sort of the process, yeah. Uh, I love but it's it. really it's really hard work in at one level. Yeah. Because, you know, certain kinds of books uh, flow. Once you get the pattern going, you just keep going to the end. These, in many ways, are starting all over every day because it's a new passage. And I try to keep it thematic and uh, in, in context with the theme of the book itself. And, you know, there's many different themes that we can use for different books. But I try to keep a theme going, and I don't force it too much. I mean, some of the old pastors' comp, pastors' studies of books got a little too thematic, you know. Um, I just try to let the text say what it says, but I want that theme to be what is integrated in the whole book. So there we are. I think that's so good. I, I do think that um, we, like the church has not done a great job helping people learn how to read the Bible. 
So I think mm-hmm. these kinds of books are incredibly important because they're um, helping people read the Bible, but they're also teaching people how to read the Bible at the same time. Because I think people who do these kinds of studies start to anticipate the questions or what yeah, they should yeah. be asking of the text. So I think it's a great gift because, first of all, it's getting people rooted in Scripture um, and letting the Scripture do the teaching, which is what it's yeah. there for, um, yeah. but also teaching them um, how to have Scripture read them. So they're learning the process um, by doing, which I think is really important. And I do think, gosh, so many small groups had started to move into the realm of book studies and not Bible book studies, but yeah. um, books by pastors or, um, you know, other things that were topical about different ideas. And so much of the time, those books, because I was in the publishing world for a while, I know how this works. A lot of those books were based on sermon series. So yeah. you yeah. have a pastor writing a book containing their sermon series that was tangentially, you know, related to scripture. Um, yeah. And then small group Bible studies gather and read these books. And so they might be picking out a verse or two, you know, yeah. as they're reading, but they're not learning how to do Bible study, which is something yeah. different. Yeah. And a lot of these pastors aren't writing their books, too, which is, a, <laughs> is another issue. Um, the. I mean, what did you, what have you seen with let's say, what you could offer to people in your church or what will you offer to people? Mm. I mean, let's say, what are you seeing out there that people are using in their, let's say, small groups? I remember a friend of mine was a growth group pastor. He called them growth groups. I still have a little bit of a tendency to call them that. Our church calls them community groups. So, yeah. What are you seeing? Yeah. Yeah, I was actually a director of discipleship for a large church for a few years. And when I started, the groups were basically, you know, meeting and reading a a popular Christian book. So that was sort of the nature of what they were doing. And part of why I was brought on was to start creating Bible studies that were rooted in scripture. So I, my role there was to start writing exegetical Bible studies based on the sermon series that the pastors were preaching because the pastors saw the need for this, that their people weren't studying scripture. Um, so that was, that was the move that I was trying to help with. Hmm. But before that, prior to that, uh, that's what groups were doing. It was largely reading whatever um, Christian book was popular at the time, you know, and meeting together to discuss it. So I think yeah. that's, largely what a lot of church groups do, or they discuss the sermon series as a group. So that's another move that a lot of churches are doing where they'll have small groups meet where they uh, discuss the most recent sermon. And hopefully they were all there and heard the material and then had something to talk about with it. But what I I was surprised at um, was women's Bible study groups typically do book of the Bible studies, but they are largely like Lifeway publishes a ton of these Um, books of the Bible, but you are reading it through 
through the um, lens of a guide. So there's mm -hmm. a speaker. There's a lot of female Bible teachers that are speakers um, and writers, and they kind of digest the material for you. And they're more like fill in the blank sort of thing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and there's, it's sort of a halfway point where you are definitely focused on a book of the Bible um, and you are learning it through the lens of an, an experienced guide, but your interaction with it is reading to find out the answer. Um, yeah. Yeah. As a, which to me is slightly different from an open ended engagement with the text. Yes. And so, um, yeah, there's one guy this week. This one guy this week uh, on the Substack said that uh, he normally ignores the questions that people write for groups or individuals mm. at the end of a chapter, but he said he writes out answers to what Becky uh, what Becky's questions are. Yes, well, that, there's pretty... there's an art form in asking questions related to scripture, and yeah. and really what you're trying to teach people is. Um, yeah, how to interrogate the text and how to yeah. be questioned by the text in return. So you should be looking at what does the scripture say? What do I hear God speaking through the scripture? But also how is scripture reading me? What is what is my requirement as a result of this reading? And so there's a, there's an art form to developing questions that get people interacting at that level. And I think, you know, I... I know Becky's really good at this, a lot better than I am. And and so, you know, I, I just kind of admire the questions she asks. I go, oh, I wouldn't, I wouldn't have thought of that, but that is a really good one. What I've noticed is I am doing some Bible teaching or teaching how to read the Bible in a couple of ways. For instance, in Romans 14 to 15, I ask people to look at the, the expressions for the different, the two groups, the weak and the strong, or what I call the powerless and the powerful in those two chapters. And what are the characteristics of what do they, what are their practices? Uh, what are their attitudes toward the other group? And as you read the text, you see these things, they, they pop out if you ask those questions. Yeah. And I, and I think you're right. I think that a good Bible study and good questions will ask the reader of the Bible to look again at the text with some sharp questions, profiles uh, to take a look at it. And, and so they have to read it again, asking that question. All of a sudden, the text begins to become a little bit more um, under there. They, they begin to master it a little bit more in the sense that they now understand some things going on they didn't know were going on. Let me, that's ask you Let me ask you this. When you, now you're, you're a pastor mm. and you use the lectionary, right? Right. Will, will you, uh, let's say, use summers for a book study or, you know, the, during ordinary yeah. time, the summers, people, churches tend to veer toward doing what they normally do or what they want to do or something that they think the church needs. Yeah. But do you find, and also, I wonder what you do in the summer. And I also wonder, um, when you're going through the lectionary, are you really, uh, let's say this year you decide to do the gospel, mm. this year's the gospel, 2023 will be the gospel of Matthew. Mm. Um, 
Will you go through the Matthew passages and put those in context, or will you decide to pick the the epistle, mm -hmm. um, the psalm, you know, whatever, right. the, the Old Testament? Will you go through, in other words, will you let one of the lections or the readings determine yeah. what you do that whole, let's say, 12 weeks or something like that? Yeah, I think so. I think in the sense of um, choosing one Bible book to go through because the lectionary does focus on one section at a time. So there, the gospel reading goes through the book of Matthew, where the epistle will follow one section, one epistle. Um, yeah. and the old Testament, for the most part, these follow a sequence. So yeah. you can, you can sort of pick out which one you want to follow. And I also find part of the reason I love the lectionary is I really enjoy the challenge of trying to figure out how all those texts fit together because there's usually some thematic piece to it, the way it's organized, not always, but for the most part, there's, there's a larger message that the pairing of those scriptures is trying to elevate. Um, so I, I do the lectionary in my daily study and it's been so fun just the last couple of weeks. Cause we've been in ordinary time for a long time. Yeah. And towards the end of ordinary time, there was a lot of talk. Uh, it was a lot of the prophets about exile. We spent a lot of time in Jeremiah and Lamentations. Mm -hmm. And I felt that it felt heavy to me to mm -hmm. rehearse the story of Israel, like the sad parts of Israel's history. Um, but then I could almost tell when we turned the corner and there was this mo like a movement towards hope or expectation. And um, you can see that in the Old Testament readings and the New Testament readings. And so for me, it's really fun to say, what, what are, what are, what is this journey meant? What is this sequence of readings? Um, what is it bringing us through? Where are we headed? And so as a pastor, I love kind of saying both experiences are relevant to our everyday lives, both the heaviness of judgment and reflecting on how did we get to this point where Jeremiah is? And then when, when that moment turned towards hope and resurrection, um, what are we meant to see in that? What is the role of hope in the Christian of life? And that's kind mm -hmm. of where I've been preaching the last couple of weeks. It's been like, finally, this feels so life-giving to talk about hope and where God is, the destination God is pulling us toward. Um, so mm -hmm. I get excited about that. I think um, I like the lectionary. I don't always recommend it to people for their daily readings I, I, because you have to know chunks of the Bible um, and mm -hmm. large sections, I think, before the lectionary because it's pieces every day. Um, yep, yep. I think it could be disorienting to somebody who doesn't have a full grasp of how all of the pieces fit together. So mm -hmm. I would tell beginners, like, read a gospel, then go back and read Genesis and maybe Exodus, and then go back and read another gospel and just kind of, you know, yeah. do those yeah. pairings of, of New Testament and Old Testament for a while until you get a sense of the story. And then you can jump around a little bit. You know, there is a, there is a knack of, let's say, on a given Sunday or in a given day in the lectionary approach of seeing what's in the Old Testament text, the psalm, the gospels, the, you know, the, the epistle, and 
seeing it, seeing something, a theme coming through all of them. Mm. And sometimes I wonder how many people are seeing that theme and how many other people, how many people are seeing something else that maybe in four years, I'll see it that way, the way they're seeing it now. Yeah. And maybe they'll see. So I've, I've paid attention to that and I, um, I find it interesting, but here's, here's to me, here's something you just brought up that I think is so important of why I think we need to be uh, Bible readers. In reading Jeremiah, you went through the darkness. Yeah. You go through exile, you go through pain and suffering and despair. Yeah. I think if we're left to pick our own Bible passages. Yes. We won't, we won't see those things. I mean, no, almost nobody is yeah. going to pick up the book of Job and read it from one to 42. You know, it's, right. it's a slog. It's hard, but I think there's something, there's something to reading the Bible and letting it talk to us rather than finding in the Bible, what we want to hear for our felt needs. Right. And when we do that, we get a comprehensive exposure to the Bible, to let the Bible speak to us and do what the Bible does, rather than, let's say, just, you know, when we're speaking, uh, when churches do the six-week series on felt needs, and I know that a lot of the mega churches are pretty famous for this, and they're they're obviously really good at it. Um there is a sense in which we are determining what we need from the Bible right. rather than the Bible determining what we need to hear. Um, I'm, I find this, Laura. I find that seminary students are not as prepared to understand the complexity of Romans as they were when I went to seminary. Um, now, I know there's a lot of seminary students today who who want to go to the conservative schools because they love Romans and that's all they want to talk about. They don't want to go to the Gospels. But I'm finding an oddity that a lot of evangelical Christians do not have an instinct for the Apostle Paul. And here's what's interesting to me about it. Mm. Evangelicalism is a Pauline theology movement. Yes, the gospel it preaches, the theology it teaches are all rooted in Romans and Pauline theology, not really the gospels. And of course, nobody's rooted in the book of Hebrews, <laughs> but, um, and not the prophets uh, so much. Yeah. So when we let the Bible tell us what, what we need to hear, we get an, a full exposure to the wholeness of scripture, to the fullness of scripture, rather than let our needs and our wants and, you know, whatever, you know, like we do a series on the family in the Bible. Well, first of all, I'm not so sure the Bible has a theology quite like that, but people find what they want. And then they say, that's the Bible's view of family. And they ignore a lot of texts that definitely would cause problems in our society today. But when you read first Chronicles or when you read Jeremiah or when you read the Gospel of Luke, or when you read uh, Hebrews, you have to listen to what the writer of Hebrews thinks is important, not right. what you want. And I think well, that not. is the secret to daily Bible reading. 
I couldn't agree more. I, I do think one of the things that I enjoy about the lectionary and also preaching through the church calendar is I, I think that um, the texts are pre-chosen. Yes. So um, I have some choice within them, you know, which which of the four I'm going to focus on. But I think that idea that um, we are going to choose a book of the Bible that may not be my own personal choice. Um, yeah. But if if I got to choose, we would only read the same three or four books over and over again. <laughs> right. If I'm honest. Yeah. Um, yeah. And that's limiting to me. That's limited to that's limiting to our hearers. Um, and and it's lopsided. I don't think I really understood the exile, what the lead up to the exile, the purpose of all of the minor prophets. Um, I don't think I understood really any of that until I was in my early 20s. And, um, you know, I studied the Bible a lot, but it's easy to skip the parts that are unfamiliar or awkward um, if you aren't purposely moving through those places. So, so I, you I were think... A, but you were a Pauline, Romans, Galatians. Oh, yeah. I mean, I grew up in a Reformed church. Like, you just yeah. camp out in Paul. You just spend your whole life there. Yeah. Um, so I think that sometimes we kind of have to be nudged into different parts of the Bible. And God gave us the whole Bible. And I yeah. think it's important for us to recognize that all of it has meaning and importance. And when I think about the people in my church and the people in most churches, our experience, our life experience has places in it that we wouldn't normally choose for ourselves. So I think that there are people in our mm -hmm. congregations who yeah. need to hear the message of Jeremiah um, and need to spend time there because it's closest to what they live. And they yeah. need to hear hope in those places. Um, and if we spend all of our time in the triumphant parts of Scripture, um, we're doing a disservice because we're not allowing all of the Bible to speak for itself. I think similarly about the Psalms. Um, I think there is a great gift to our people to say the Psalms are full of a variety of emotions. They're full of a variety of communication styles of humans talking to God sometimes in anger, sometimes in hurt, sometimes with joy and celebration, but there is a wide range. But that's a gift we give to our people to say, all of these are authentic. All of these are um, available and accessible to you. And these are all ways God allows for us to communicate um, and appropriate for communicating with God. So I think if we only read the joyful, happy parts, um, we're doing a disservice to our people because we're not giving them the full context of language to communicate with God and to understand their own human experience. Yeah. Last week I was preaching and I said, God knows you're human. It doesn't come as a surprise to God. God made you this way. So if you have hurts or, you know, fear or confusion, this doesn't come as a shock or surprise to God. So tell God that, I, yeah. you know, that's okay. That's what, that's what the Psalms do. Yeah. You know, along this line of letting, uh, you know, of realizing that when we let Scripture be what it, it is and let it do what it does, uh, we encounter dimensions of our human life and our experience that we may not be aware of and that need to be addressed. The other thing I was thinking, you know, 
this is a, a, a personal beef of mine. In translating the New Testament, every paragraph in the Gospels, when I give my headers, you know, every translation yeah. has headers, begins with Jesus, or as I mm. do, Jesus, because these are texts about Jesus. And and uh, in the in my uh, study guides of Luke and John, now John is out. Nearly every passage begins with Jesus. Mm -hmm. Jesus as the first sign. Jesus is the temple. Jesus brings new births. Um, Jesus performs two signs. Jesus is the bread of life. And by, I'm trying to do something with this. I'm trying to get people to realize that the Gospels are about Jesus, not about them. But in learning about Jesus, they learn something about themselves that may surprise them and deepen their own personal life. Yeah. So I, it, it's so important to me. I mean, it, this is a, a fundamental uh, requirement of good reading is okay. to listen to the author. Let the author say what the author says. And in that sense, you, you step back, you respect the author, uh, Alan Jacobs, who used to be at Wheaton, is now at Baylor, um, says that love in reading is an act of listening, mm. is to let that author speak and to listen in such a way that you feel like you've heard what that author has to say. That, I think, is so important in reading Scripture, is to let... Paul say what Paul says, to let Luke say what he says, to let the writer of Hebrews say what, what he, I don't think it's a she, but some of my students do. They would love for that to be true, so they make it true. Uh, let James let James say what James says, you know, and let John say what, and, and just to listen to him and to listen mm -hmm. to the variety of the voices is so important. Well, yeah. I've, I had, uh, I mean, I'm I'm not halfway through, you know, I'm what, 30, 33% maybe. The, I got six volumes out of 16, whatever number that is. Um, I'm not halfway. Um, it's a lot of work. It's a lot of fun. And I feel like um, my life of Bible teaching and concern for the church all comes together in every passage that I, that I write on. So it, it's been it's been a lot of fun, and uh, I'm hoping to get more people to pick up these things and start having Bible studies, mm. but personally or in groups where they begin to just let the Bible speak and then read the passage and then have conversations about it. And Becky yeah. asks the questions that'll force people to ask, you know, to get back into the text. I love it. I love it. I am convinced. That the more time people spend in scripture, the more they will know God's heart. I mean, this yeah. is this is the purpose of the Bible. It's it's God's yeah. self-revelation. Um, and as we spend time in it, I think God gets bigger for each one of mm -hmm. us. We mm -hmm. learn more. Um, and I I'm a little jealous, I'm just gonna be honest, that you get to spend three to four hours every day. <laughs> Uh, digging into these texts and spending yeah. time thinking about how to communicate them. Cause I mean, that's yeah. my favorite thing to do. So I think that is, um, deeply formative, I'm sure for you 
And I'm sure it comes up in your conversation regularly as you're reflecting on these texts. And I think oh, yeah. for people, people to be studying them in the same way, we'll do the same for them. We'll get them connected to God yeah. and it bubbles up in your life and in conversation, which is you know, yeah. what we want. Perfect. I, The denomination I'm in now has a long tradition where they told people to ask one another when they encountered one another on the street, what are you learning from scripture? What are you learning today? And I think we should do that more. Ask one yeah. another, you know, what have you learned from God lately? What What is yeah. God teaching you? How are you growing in scripture? What's that covenant question? Is it what, what does the scripture say? Is that the question? Yes. Where is it it's, written? How is it written? Where is it written? Yeah. Where is it written? Yeah. I, yes. There's a, there's a, in the middle of North Park University, there's a little brick area with some, uh, some statements uh, engraved in stone uh, yes. about a foot off the ground. I th one of those, I think, is where is it written or something like that. And I remember yes. hearing and that. And that's the idea what, behind it is that we're asking yeah. one another, you know, where where is your basis for this? But also, what are you learning? How are you growing? Yeah. And I, I think those are healthy things that Christians should be asking one another. And I think that the Everyday Bible Study series is a tool that can assist with that, helping people, um, yeah, learn and grow as they study scripture together. So thank yeah. you, Scott, for this conversation. Well, thank you. Yes, yeah. it's fun. I hope and it's thank you some... for being a, a Bible reader and a Bible preacher. I'm a little bit obsessed with the Bible, I'm not going to lie, and with books in general. So it's, it's kind of bad for my book budget, but good for learning and growth. Well, I hope that this will steer some of you to check out the Everyday Bible Study series. Um, Becky Castle-Miller does a beautiful job with the questions. And I think these would be a great resource um, for you to use on your own or in a small group or, you know, in any place you want to be studying scripture with other people. Well, we look forward to being with all of you next time as we continue our conversation on how the kingdom took root then and how it's taking root now. Thanks so much. Thank you.